Welcome to a new episode of Inside Marketing Design. I'm Charlie, I'm a creative director in tech, and this is a show that gives you a behind the scenes look at how brand and marketing design work gets done at tech companies. I'm very excited about today's episode because I'm interviewing one of the creators behind a website that took the design community by storm and has been the inspiration for many. Today, we're talking about Linear. Linear is an issue tracking, project management, and product roadmap tool for software development. And my guest today, Julian Lear, joined Linear in 2021 and he is part of the brand marketing team who are responsible for the website. In this episode, you're gonna to hear tons of details about the process that Julian and the team went through to bring this beautiful site to life. And I know that you're also gonna learn a ton from Julian's perspective on content and design because I know that I certainly did. Just a reminder too, before we start, this show is available in both audio and video form. So you can find it on the Inside Marketing Design YouTube channel if you wanna see examples of work along the way as well as in your favorite podcast app, if you prefer just to listen into the episode, which is, that's fine too. <laughs> All right, let's get into it and take a look inside marketing design at Linear. All right, Julian, welcome to the show. And I always like to start off by asking my guests, like, ask, you know, their job title, what are you responsible for? And I realized as I was putting together the outline for this show, I don't actually know what your title is. And maybe that's like a small company thing, but let's start there. What are you responsible for? Yeah, I don't really have an official title. I'm sure there's like some marketing title in the contract that I have with Linear, but <laughs> I don't have an official title. I would probably describe, or some companies would describe it as brand marketing. Other companies would describe it as storytelling. The term that I like to use is packaging design. The team and I are building packaging for Linear. And the example I always give is, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have one of these at home, you know, the AirPods. And you might remember when you first unboxed them that they came in this really nice plastic wrapper. They were sort of like slightly translucent, had a really nice haptic feel to it. And then when you unzipped it, when you opened it, I don't know how they did this, but it had just, just had this amazing feeling to it. And some people would say, well, it's just packaging. To me, that's part of the product experience. It gets you excited about the product that you're about to use. And that's kind of our job. We are building the plastic wrapper around Linear. Obviously, it's not a physical product, right? We're building an issue tracker. It's, it's a piece of software. But the website and every you know, other touch point that you have before using the product, that's sort of like our version of a plastic wrapper. And that's the thing that we try to, that we try to optimize. I really like that description because like, if you just said packaging designer, I'm sure people are going to be thinking about like, oh, like shampoo bottles or like, yeah, boxes for laptops and things like that. But you're right. That is what we do as branded marketing designers is where like that first entrance to a product where what you see before you get in and start using the product itself. And so I really, I really like that thinking. That's a yeah, really interesting way of putting it. Tell me about the team that you're on at Linear though. Does that have a name? And what is the team responsible for? It, it does have a name. It's called the magic team. Again, both for the lack of a better word, but also because our job is to create sort of like that magical first impression that you have with the product. We're a team of three. It's me sort of like storytelling. We have Edgar, our very talented designer, and we have Paco, our very talented web engineer or design engineer, I think is a better description of what he actually does. But there's a lot of overlap between our different roles. So maybe let's take a step back and think about brand marketing and what the jobs to be done are. There's a content comp component, like what are you trying to communicate? Like what are you trying to say? That is one component. 
There's another component, and this is where, really where we get into like the packaging aspect of it, is how does it look? And then there's a third component, and I think that one is really underrated, which is how does it feel? Like we think a lot about like the feelings that people have when they interact with our brand. There's an overlap between those three things. I care deeply about how my copy looks. I'm not a designer, but I do care about the typeface and the line height and the margin between the asset and the copy and what's actually in the asset. So I care about that. The other two guys have opinions on the storyline and the narrative that we use. So there's an overlap there. Design and implementation are two separate things, but they're deeply connected. Like you look at something in Figma and it looks great, and then you implement it and you're like, ah, this is, it's not the same. A website is not a static thing. You scroll through it, there are animations, there are interactions. So how it feels is a component that I feel a lot of people miss. A lot of people just think about like how it looks, but not how it feels. That's how I would describe it. It's like three components, but they all heavily overlap, they integrate. I really like that way of thinking as well, because you're right, they all like, it's like a triangle where they all feed into each other and they can all make each other better as well. And if we think of, I like the term design engineer too, because if we think of building out a website as simply, oh, let's take what's in Figma and make it look the same on the web, then we're missing a big opportunity for that added layer of interactions, animations, and to truly bring it to life, not just through writing it code, but yeah, adding more to it. Yeah, so I love sense. that you all think about that. So this magic team, brand team, whatever we want to call it, where does that fit within the wider company structure at Linear? Because given that you're pretty small, um, like is your who who is your manager that you report into, that the team reports into? Until recently, we would report directly to Kari, our CEO, which is part, you know, part of the reason is because we're just like a very small company and there was no middle layer in between. We didn't have head of marketing. By the time this podcast airs, hopefully we have found head of marketing that I'll report to. But for now, we, we dev report directly to the CEO. The other reason, it's not just a small company thing, but it's also because the founders care deeply about design and the brand. Like our team hasn't invented the brand. A lot of the stuff was already there when we came in. We just build on top of it. But you can tell that we have a design CEO, that we have a very design-driven company. So that, that is not a coincidence. Yes, absolutely. We're going to get into talking about the linear website, which is, I'm sure, why a lot of people are listening into this as well. And just like to have the time to make something with that level of polish and craft, you have to have buy-in from the the CEO, the execs, whatever in the company to, to have the time for that. And so, yeah, it does come through. And that's really interesting to hear that that's, yeah, that's the reporting lines. What about other product designers in the company? Because I'm assuming there's not just the designer on your team, that there's designers somewhere else. And how, how do you collaborate with them? Because like you said, what you're creating is the packaging for the product. And so obviously we want some relation, right, between the packaging right. and what's inside. So because we're still a small company, Edgar is both on the brand design team and the product design team. So we have that direct connection. Okay. Um, again, okay. small company, so that, that is helpful. But yeah, the, the two obviously have to work together, right? Like mm -hmm. they're not exactly the same, but they have to feel the same. Yep. Wait, so is there is Edgar the only person doing the product design and on the, no, the brand no, no, side? No, 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 no. We, okay. we, do, we do have other designers as well, but it is fairly small. <laughs> At this point, we have, so Kari being a CEO, we have one other designer in Europe, Adrienne, 
uh, product designer. We have one designer mm -hmm. for our mobile app, Alex, and then Epicor is doing both product design and brand design. Nice. When I joined ConvertKit, the like only other designer on the team, we have a design CEO as well, but the like the design IC oh. was handling both product and marketing, but we were only about 20 something people at that point. Um, so then, yeah, I came in to take over the brand and marketing side. Right. So I feel you on that. <laughs> but again, that shows how you get that connection, right? Is that there's no need to schedule meetings with the product design team because you've got someone who's working on the product right there within your team. So that's yeah. cool. Having a small team is definitely a feature. It's a yes. big advantage. I like it. Yep, I like it. What about other teams within the company? Who do you collaborate with most often? I'm curious to know if your team acts kind of like the brand studio team that I lead at ConvertKit does, where we are, yes, creating our own projects to build the brand, but we're also acting as sort of like an internal agency or like internal creative partner for other teams within the company on on the things that they need. How does it work for you? Yeah, I think that's almost a perfect description of how we work. Okay. Um, so it's like 70% of our own projects or 60%, depending on how you look at it. And then the rest is sort of like other teams pulling us in if they feel that there's sort of like a, a brand element that they could use our input on. So, so to a degree, we work with everyone in the company. And again, like packaging, if you think about pa packaging, it is on the outset of, of everything that we touch. So it is part of like recruiting and CX and sales. Um, but there are teams that we work more closely with, like, you know, product and, and marketing in, in particular. Let's talk more about this idea of storytelling and writing. How would you describe, well, I've, the way I think of it is kind of like content, I guess, content marketing. But yeah, how would you describe what, what that does? I'm not a huge fan of the word content marketing. Okay, when I hear content I <laughs> marketing, I always think about like SEO optimized mm. medium blog posts that nobody's going to read. I think that's actually a mistake. I think a lot of people just focus on that aspect where you optimize on like this short term metric of like, let's get this like sign up number up. But they don't think about sort of like the long term relationship they have with a user. I think of it as almost like a conversation that you have with someone. And there are a lot of like very dull people out there where you have a conversation with them, I'd say 20 minutes, you have a 20 minute conversation with that person and you walk away and five minutes later, you can't remember the name of the person. You can't remember what they looked at. You can't remember what the conversation was about because it didn't really have any substance. And that's how I feel a lot of content marketing feels like you have that interaction, but it's not leading to anything. It's not, you're not building a relationship there. So when we think about content, I think that the most important thing is that you Maybe you have something interesting to say. That's what, a, what makes a conversation interesting, right? Like maybe you have something interesting to say. That is, by the way, typically not about you. Like, you know, again, have a conversation. If you have a conversation with someone and that person only talks about themselves for 30 minutes, it's probably not a very interesting conversation. That's another mistake I see in a lot of content marketing. Nobody cares about you, but maybe you have something interesting to say. And that is sort of like a segue into, oh, by the way, we do this thing on the side and maybe this is interesting for you. And you sort of like, lead them into, into that conversation. I think a good example that a lot of people wouldn't describe as content marketing is Tesla's ludicrous mode. Are you familiar with mm. this? Yes, I have experienced it. <laughs> right. And this is a feature that if you think about it, you don't really need this. On a day-to-day -day basis, you, you will never yeah. use this. You Let's live in a city, you, you won't use this feature, but it's interesting, it's intriguing. Mm. You might not be interested in buying a new car, but you're intrigued to try it out. 
to, to experience it yourself. So it's interesting content, and that's how you get in touch with the, with the final product. That, to me, is sort of like content marketing, if, if that makes sense. That does make sense, and it connects back to what you were saying about making sure that people feel something about it. So you're not just reading and the information's passing in one era or the other, or you're like, okay, it's checking some boxes. You're trying to like, yeah, create a moment and, and a lasting memory through, through what you're doing. I really like that. Is this approach to content something that you've built up at other companies too, or is the linear approach quite different to places you've worked before? I haven't worked in sort of like brand marketing roles before. So I don't, mm -hmm. I can't really give you that context. I don't really know how other companies do this, to mm. be completely honest. Like, at least from the outside, it seems that there are some things that we do differently. Like, I think sort of like that emphasis on like design and feelings that does feel unique, but I could be wrong. Maybe there are other companies out there that do the same. Um, and then there are other pieces of content when we think about like, you know, telling an interesting story and that's how you get in touch with some of your future customers. I do think that that's what a lot of companies do. It's just there are probably not that many companies that do it well. Yes, that is the, the point, I think, is that, that I think that's the ideal and what companies want to aim for, but it gets lost in the process somewhere of like, I don't know, there's too many cooks in the kitchen or there's too many priorities on the plate and so you can't spend the time that it needs to do something great. Yeah, I, I think that's probably where that happens. And... Honestly, I think a lot of companies don't put the focus on design that Linear does. Too many companies still see design as like this added layer of paint on top where it's like, especially for brand and marketing design, it's like the product is the most important thing. We just need a page that talks about the product, like just. And uh, I think that's the wrong approach. And what I'm trying to show through this podcast is, you know, just the impact we can have with this kind of work on a business. So yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that view. I think it's a matter of quality. And if you think about it, there's a certain level of quality that is hard to describe. Like you can't articulate it with words, but you also can't measure it with numbers, right? There's no metric that says this product has this level of quality. And so because you can't describe it and you can't measure it, it's kind of irrational to optimize for that thing, right? And design is a part of, you know, is one part of quality, but there are this other aspects of quality as well that has have sort of like a similar similar problem. We feel that a lot with product design as well. Like we care a lot about quality at Linear, not just on the brand side of things, but from the product perspective as well. And I feel like a lot of other companies out there don't because again, you can't measure it. It's easier to have an A-B test and say, this is the best thing we can do rather than focus on sort of like quality as like a holistic metric. Yes, and bringing in that gut feeling that you have that you said like you know when you look at something if it's quality design build content or not but yeah that you can't measure it and i think that we get wrapped up in the metrics and we ignore that like that gut feeling is it's a response it, like if we want to call it qualitative data then let's call it that that feeling is should be part of it as well i agree how how do you collaborate with design? Because it seems like you're really close to it and that like you have a high level of taste yourself and that you care about the content, the copy that you're writing, how that gets presented. And I'm sure it's more goes more than just the typeface and the line height, but like where it sits on the page as well, the, the general flow. In your view, what stage should content and copy come into the design process? This is a bit of a chicken and egg problem. 
Yes. Because <laughs> that's why I asked it. <laughs> on the one hand, you're just like, wait, well, you should start off the overall narrative. Like, what are you trying mm -hmm. to say? But when I write this and then Edgar starts designing it, I'll definitely have to change a lot of the copy later on, depending on how he packages it. So we work in parallel from the start, which is frustrating at the, or can be frustrating at the beginning of the exploration phase, because you have that feeling that you aren't going anywhere and you're just like going in circles. But it's, it's just a you know, natural part of the process. The same actually applies to implementation, back to this point of like, you know, design and implementation shouldn't be like two separated phases. They also go hand in hand. So something we've experimented with recently is like, maybe Paco should start implementing something even when we are still figuring out what the design is. Just like whatever comes to mind, like his vision of what, what this thing should look like. And then we'll compare sort of like the design and the implementation, sort of like merge them into one. We haven't found like a perfect way of making that work, but I think there's something to it to have sort of like almost all three elements of, of the process of like happen, happen simultaneously. That's a really interesting way to think about the approach because yeah, we, we often think of it as more like a waterfall, right? Where it's like one thing happens, then another, then it goes to someone else, then we start the build at the end or whatever. But if we truly want to bring in ideas from all these different skill sets, then yeah, what you're saying makes sense that we should involve them in the beginning, the ideas for the implementation. If there's like a certain thing we could do with the code, with an interaction, with an animation, let's know about it at the start or like have the idea so we can strengthen it through design and through content. I really like that idea of a way of working. And I'm also thinking about how it would work in reality from like my experience. And I'm like, sounds like chaos. Sounds like fun. It sounds like chaos. <laughs> You don't know where to start. It is a waterfall, yes. but it's one of like, you know, one of these like MC Escher type buildings where yes. you have like a waterfall and then, and you know, like, where's the, like, it's a strange loop. Um, you don't yep. know where it starts yep. and where it ends. Sometimes the waterfall's flowing upwards. I exactly. <laughs> I like that. So that's kind of your process then for creating content and copy for a landing page is that you do try work in tandem with the designer and you're hoping to bring in the design engineer as well into that to have everything going in tandem. Could we talk about a specific example? And I think that the linear homepage is probably the best example that we could talk about here. What did the process look like for creating the content for that? Where did that start? When you say content, do you mean copy or Ooh. the whole thing? Well, let's define it. Let's um, define it in your, in your view. Because I also think of them as different, but I've come across differing viewpoints on this. <laughs> my, my writing process is almost separate from the other process. Like writing is sort of like really thinking about like what exactly are we trying to communicate? And a lot of that process happens uh, on pen and paper. I really like having like a physical notebook and, and writing ideas down there. And then I would transition them into some sort of a writing tool. That could be Obsidian, it could be Notion, it could be Google Docs. I would often switch between tools during the process. To me, that's more like, um, it's like a change of scenery. You know how some people sort of like move to a different room because it sort of like gives them different inspiration or something. I, I feel the same about tools. It's sort of like an environment and I need to change that from time to time. But then I quickly moved all of that into Figma. I think Figma is underrated as a, as a writing tool because again, I care a lot about how the copy looks. Like how long is the sentence? Where is the line break? The, all of those are like important things. A copy might look great on a light background, but once you turn on dark mode, it doesn't work anymore. 
And I can't tell you why that is. It's just how it looks and how it feels. It just doesn't feel right. So having the copy process ideally in the end design, that, that really helps. And that's where the text sort of like morphs into more of a, like an asset. And then I think of myself not as a writer, but more of a, like a sentence designer. So like making sure that it flows nicely with, with some of the assets and the overall page design and the overall page structure. And then it's like this constant pull and push between, you know, all three of us. We would all like, we spent most of our time together in Figma and just try to, try to make that work. And it is chaos until the very end. We're usually very unsatisfied with what we have until like a week before we launch something. It's sort of like, I don't know. I don't know why that is. We need that sort of like time pressure. It's usually that one moment where it clicks and we're like, okay, this is it. We have this like one idea and we know how it works. Homepage was the same thing. We worked on this for three months in total, I believe. We had a lot of explorations for this website and nothing felt right until I don't know, a week or two before we actually launched it. This is when most of the stuff actually came together. Wow, nice. Uh, what, what parts of that process you described would you call content and like where does it turn into copy? I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's like a clear Hmm. distinction between the two like especially for like a landing page like a like a home page there are certain things that i would describe as more of like content where you like you really explain something and you have like an asset that supports that thing but a lot of it is more it's a little more fuzzy and a little more again going back to that idea of like what feelings do you create i think the copy is actually overrated for most of it, I'm by far the least important person on the team because the copy, like most people won't read the copy. They don't have the time, right? Like you your attention span is so short, you just like scroll through it. And if it's like shiny object and you like it, maybe, maybe we can convince you to read some of the sort of like content that's in it. The, the visual aspect is more important than the actual content. That's so interesting. And I love that you recognize that too, but I, I would say like scrolling the linear homepage you read the headings, right? And the headings communicate a lot on their own because that's what your eye is catching as you're scrolling yeah. through. But still, that is that is very interesting. Uh, with the homepage, where did this project start? You mentioned that your team works on like 70 to 60% is projects. You're, you're have initiated others as things other people need. Was this one that you just wanted to work on and you decided the time was right? Or was there some sort of external within the company, like external to your team turning point that, that led to this project starting? It was a bit of both. So we knew we wanted to do a website redesign basically since we joined the company. <laughs> um, but it also, like the, the timing was right because we had this like big launch coming up that kind of changed how linear sort of like was perceived by customers. You know, when you start, you usually you target startups, you target early stage startups and that's sort of your core audience. And then you slowly go up market and so we were in this phase where, well, obviously we're still the tool for startups, but we also have, you know, some huge public companies like, like Cash App, for example, that we use linear. So there's sort of like a, a grown up phase there where you want to communicate that, you know, actually this is like a serious tool for like large companies as well. So that is one aspect. The other aspect is that linear moved from this thing that 
at the beginning, it was just like an, an issue tracker that was better than all the other issue trackers out there in our view, but it was, it was just an issue tracker. And then it morphed into, well, you can also do like roadmap planning and all of these other things. And so actually it's much more than just an issue tracker. And so we got to this point where we were like, okay, we kind of like need to rethink how we tell the story anyway. And so a website redesign is like a good way to, to do exactly that. Nice. And aside from the magic team, I love that term. Um, who else was working on this project in the company? Was it just your team? Were there other people involved? It depends on how you define working. I, we have a lot of Ooh. people internally who care deeply about what mm -hmm. we all do. So there's a lot of feedback from, you know, from all sides. So in that sense, it was definitely not just the three of us working on it. Like that is definitely the core team that you know, thought it through and actually built it. But especially the founders were like very involved in in that process as well, like especially Kari, obviously as as a CEO and sort of like lead designer has a lot of opinions and a lot of input on it as well. So definitely a, a group effort, but the core project is just the three of us. And you mentioned this was like over a three month period that that you worked on it. Was it actually longer than that, and then it was three months of action, or was it okay? We're going to make a homepage, and then three months later it launched a website. Sorry. Well, there's a lot of thinking that goes into it yeah. before you even start. Like for us, it was like we joined the company and it was basically the first thing that we right. discussed. You like, started oh, then. if we read yes. it, the website, like here's all the things <laughs> we could do, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of conversations for like, you know, almost a year that happened before we started working on it. And then the core project was like three months. We could have worked on this a lot longer. I think this is a problem with when you try to make things perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. Perfection is the thing that you can, you know, you can try to get as close as possible to it, but you'll never reach it. And so it means that a project just becomes infinite. If you try to make it perfect, you need some sort of end date to help, you know, keep you accountable. So the end result, and this is kind of funny, like a lot of people have copied the website and think of it as like, if her is like, oh, this is like the gold standard for landing pages. We internally think it's actually not that great. Like on a scale from one to 10, I would score this like a six and a half, like a seven max. This could be so much better. Like I'm like, we're a little embarrassed by a lot of things on the website. It's solid. It's, it's good, but it's, it's far from perfect. And was perfection the goal that you were aiming for in this? Like, was that said at the start? Like, we want to make this a perfect website. Uh, again, we all know that perfection is sort of like impossible. You can't get to yeah. perfection. So the idea is like, can you get as closely to perfection as, as possible in the time frame that you have available? That's sort of like how we think about not, nice. not just this project, but almost any project that we work on. And was the, because you mentioned like, you know, when you're aiming for this super high level of quality and craft, it can go on forever. Was the the date set for you essentially by the, the product launch? Like, okay, we're going live with something new. We need to like make this shift as a business, as a product, as a company. And so you're like, okay, that's what we're aiming for with the website then. Is that yeah, how it worked? Pretty much. Nice. I mean, you can always push things back and you're like, well, <laughs> maybe we could do like the product launch like a week later or two weeks later. But again, this is like, you know, slippery slope. Um, yes. So it helps to have like a firm deadline, ideally by something that you can't push back. Yes. Otherwise, yeah, you're, you're the faster you get it out there, at least I believe anyway, the more you can start learning from it and then you can like start making improvements. I want to talk about improvements and things, but first let's talk about the process for designing the website and like I'm specifically interested in focusing on the homepage itself, but honestly anywhere that, that comes to mind. 
what challenges did you face in this process of this big project? I think the biggest challenge is to get the brand feeling right. Or maybe let's, let's, let's actually not talk about the brand. Let's talk about the product because the brand is just a reflection of the, of the product. There's a couple of things that I think make linear unique. Like you can say, well, we care a lot about speed, right? Like it's very, very fast at like one aspect. We think it is a professional tool. You know, there's some brands that try to be like very approachable and cute. Linear is not cute. It's not unapproachable, but it's definitely not as approachable as like other brands out there. It's a professional tool for professional teams to do professional work. So that is another aspect. There is an aspect of craftsmanship and quality. Like, as we said, like we care a lot about like high quality and getting even the smallest details right. So that is another one. And then I think there's a, a fourth one that's sort of like the result of all of these other things, which is, I would describe them as focus. Linear is, I would almost describe it as like noise canceling for your work, right? Like the problem with a lot of other issue tracker and project management tools out there is that they just create noise and like work around work and you have to go in and, and just notifications. like, yeah. exactly, lots of notifications you have to drop, you know, fill 20 drop down menus to create an issue. And success is often measured as like, how much time did a user spend in my app? And for us, it's almost the opposite. It's like, we don't want you to spend any time in the app because that's a negative signal, right? You should go in and go out. This is not the thing where you do your work. It's just a supporting tool. So getting that focus right. Okay, so we have we had speed, we had professionalism, we had craftsmanship, we had focus. So those four things are the characteristics that I want the brand to reflect. And those are the characteristics in terms that I want the website to reflect. But all of those things are like very fuzzy in a sense. How do, how do you visualize a lot of this stuff? So I think that's the biggest obstacle, like making things tangible. I think that's the biggest challenge. How can you make, well, obviously you can make a, a website like really fast and performant. So we have like the speed aspect. We have a lot of like tiny details and getting like all the animations right. That's sort of like the, the quality aspect. The professionalism, I think that's more of a, I find that really hard to describe. As this is a lot about like, you know, what typeface you use and the colors and stuff. And then focus, this is really critical for any landing page is you could spend a lot of time on marketing fluff and making things look shiny. But if it's too much, it's not great. Just like, tell me what it is. It's an issue tracking tool. Okay, great. That's all I need to know. That's like the core message. I shouldn't have to spend like three minutes to figure out what this company actually does. So those are like the, the challenges, like figuring out what the product is about and then translating that into, into an actual landing page. You mentioned that it like sort of all clicked into place one week before. What were you exploring before then? What other, I don't know if you want to talk about any particular design details or like a narrative for the page, like anything you were considering in the past that you were initially thinking was right. And then like, like you said, it changed, it clicked into place. I talked about like tangibility a lot. Software is intangible. You can't touch it, but maybe you can create something to make it look more tangible. So we explored a lot of like isometric assets or like almost like 3D versions of it. And this is, a, this is tricky. Like on the one, you want to find something that looks nice, but at the same time, again, speaking of focus, just tell people what this tool actually is and how it looks. Like there are a lot of tools out there that have 
great marketing assets, but they don't actually look like the final product. Like Microsoft is a famous example. They have like amazing marketing videos where you have these like, again, so it's like things dropping down. You have this like 3D thing. And then you open the actual application that they're advertising. And it's like, this is completely different. This is not, this is not what I was sold. So finding, finding like a right balance there. And this is where the isometric assets were like, they looked nice, but they didn't do a great job of like communicating how linear actually looks and how it works. I think this is another obstacle that we have when it comes to assets in general. Like if you think about linear, it's a very information dense product on purpose. But that means that a landing page becomes very busy if you include like a full screenshot and you have like text all over the place and then like supporting text next to it. And he's like, well, I don't even know what to focus on. So finding that balance, like breaking out individual UI elements and removing a lot of the complexity, that was hard. We ended up with these, these like translucent assets on the landing page. And that's probably my favorite design detail of all of it. Again, coming back to that plastic wrapper. You, you look at the asset and you can't touch it, but you, you have a, a sense of how it would feel if you could touch it. And that's exactly what we're going for. It, it took a longer time to get to that end result, but that is, I think, my favorite part of the, of the landing page. I'm obsessed with that and also honestly feeling quite jealous of the time and space you made available to be able to come up with that, that sort of thinking and to approach the project in this way. While you were working on this homepage project, which was obviously well, website projects, obviously super important for the company, were you also having to manage like other day-to-day -day things and like getting things out there? Like how much of your time were you able to dedicate during that three months to, to this website? I want to say about 80%. Nice. Like, we're still a small company, so there are a lot of other things going on that need to get fixed. And I, I can only talk, you know, for myself here. But for me, I think it was about 80% of my time that would go into, into the website. Nice. So that's a, enough that's time a to like time. focus on it, for sure. Yeah. Focus. Again, that word. I love that. Was there ever any external pressure from other teams or from the CEO to like, come on, guys, you've been obsessing over these things for a while. Like, we just need to get this thing shipped. Um, was there ever any of that you had to manage your way through? Like we do have that tendency to overthink things, especially in that like exploration phase. So I wouldn't say there's this pressure. There's like we we don't need external pressure because we have a deadline, right? And like the closer right. you get to the deadline, you guys like that's ah, the pressure. Yeah. We like <laughs> we need to come up with like the end thing here. And honestly, all of our projects always feel the same until two weeks before the deadline. I'm like this is going to be garbage. Like we're not going to come up with something. And then it just clicks and we find like the, the final thing that we're all happy with. But yeah, shipping things on time is definitely the biggest weakness that we have for sure. I feel you on that too. <laughs> we're always overly ambitious when it comes to that sort of thing. <laughs> so as you, as you designed and, and built out this site, did you also design and build out a design system that you'll now maintain? Or is it like... Here's, a, here's the page, it's custom, and if we want to make a change, we're changing it just on this page. Uh, yeah, there's not much of a system. We also don't name our layers. I know that people have a lot of opinions yes. on that kind of stuff as well. Oh, I'm a big fan um, of not naming layers. I think it's a waste of freaking time, so I love that. <laughs> I think when it comes to systems or processes in general, they do make sense as you grow as a company and as yeah. you scale the company. Again, Having a small team can be a huge advantage, and this is one of them. But we're definitely 
feeling that, you know, we're getting to that point where like, yeah, system might make more sense. So it is something we are actively working on. It's not going to be like off the level of a design system that other, you know, companies would have, but having some consistency in there is definitely something we need to work on. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that can help you move faster in the future, right? But right. It, I do wonder, like, if you achieve this level of craft and if the site has been so well received by the design community in particular because you weren't let, saying let's design a system and then use it to build a page. You were saying let's design the page the way it should be and we'll think about a system later. I don't know. I wonder if that had an impact. Yeah, it's 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 a trade-off. I think it's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. I think for the stage that we were at at the time, it was definitely the right approach. If I had to do it again, I would probably think about it a little more systematically and say, okay, if we do this, what does this mean if we ever, you know, redesign yeah. our emails or, you know, other aspects of of the packaging? Think about it a little more holistically. That makes sense. Let's talk about the reaction from the design community. I first heard of Linear because of the website. <laughs> Never heard of it before. And then all of a sudden, everyone was talking about this website. And you look at it and you're like, damn, yeah, that's slick. This is the new Stripe. That's in our gold standard. <laughs> um, was the reaction to it, like, was it what you expected? Is that what you were hoping for? How did it feel to, to suddenly have everyone talking about your work in that way? It was definitely not expected. I mean, you always hope that things are well received, but you, you definitely don't expect it. We did have that as like a North Star metric to say it's like, we should, you know, over time get to the same place that Stripe is at, where it's of like, mm -hmm. Stripe.com is sort of like the gold standard for like what a good landing page looks like. It was definitely not like, oh, we need to become the new Stripe. That was definitely not yep. the goal. It's more like a North Star to aim for, aim for. over, over yep. time. So how did it feel to suddenly have everyone talking about your work? Yeah, I don't know. A bit. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's a little uncomfortable. It, it got interesting when you saw sort of like the copycats showing up. I think that was really like a lot of people who like talk about it, but then you know, does it have like actual impact? That was an interesting moment when that started to happen. And on the one side, like I'm not super happy with other people sort of like copying the looks of, of the brand. And there's a lot of you know websites that look. I think too familiar, like too close to to what what we built. On the other hand, like from a marketing perspective, it's probably the best thing that could have happened to us. Whenever people launch a website and it looks similar to ours, there's going to be someone in the comment section that says, "Oh, this looks like linear," and that means that I have another twenty people who are going to check out our website and hopefully our product. So from that perspective, it's like an interesting sort of like growth loop. From a brand perspective, I, I wish that at least some of these were at least a little different, or if they would sort of like take it one step further. I think it's great if you get inspired by it, but if you just copy someone else's work, you're trying to build a unique brand. Like, what are you doing? The point of a brand is to create something that doesn't look like anything else. So be inspired, but don't copy it. I like that. Yeah, it sounds like more of them need to read Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. I don't know if you've read that, but it's about right. combining inspiration from different sources so that you end up with something that looks unique because it's like a mix of all these different things rather than just one in particular. That's probably what we need more of. You mentioned that this idea of, you know, reaching Stripe's standard of quality for a landing page was a North Star that you and the team are aiming for. But how do you measure the success of the linear website? Like, are you looking at conversion rate metrics, traffic, clicks on certain buttons and things like that? Or is it all feel? It is 70% feel and 30% metrics. 
nice split. <laughs> and again, back to that point of like measuring quality, you can't measure quality. It's really a gut feeling. Success is sort of like, we know it when we see it. And that's sort of like, oh, there's certain people in the community that talk about us in a certain way and they share it with, you know, friends and colleagues. And that to us is just a strong signal that we are on the right path. But obviously, you know, in the end, we are a business. We do care about are people actually visiting the websites? Are they signing up? All of that kind of stuff. Um, so we do look at, at metrics as well. So it's, it's a mix of both. You need a mix of both. But it skews more towards feelings than hard metrics. And for the feeling side, you mentioned that you and the team would maybe give it a six and a half, seven out of 10 for the quality. But what about the, the metric side of the site? Is it doing what you needed it to for the business, basically? When, when you launch something new, you can look at metrics and it's like, oh, there's like a spike of, of signups that sort of like happens around the same time or like just after you released something. That is a like strong proxy that the thing is doing its job. And then it's interesting if you look at some of these like marketing releases that we've done over time, there are some things that you see like a spike and then it goes down again. And then there are other things like the website where you see like a step change where it goes up and it stays up, which is really want to, what, you, what you want. That being said, again, so like success, I always feel it hard to take credit for this because it only works if you have a great product. Like in a sense, our job is really easy because we are selling a product that a lot of people really like. And so that makes our job a lot easier than I don't want to take too much credit for like, oh, all of these people are now using Linear. You're using Linear because the product is great, not because of the marketing. Oh, that's very humble of you. And I like that that thinking. You, What improvements do you want to make to the site next? Like you said that there's all these things that you see that maybe other people don't. Have you started working on any of them? Have you done any like follow-up fixes or like, yeah, what are you working on next for it? Um, we've been thinking about it a lot and we've been discussing mm -hmm. a lot of ideas, but there's no sort of like active work stream to make sort of like major changes. I think we want to redo the homepage or the website in general at some point. Again, it's always a matter of priority. We'd love to do this today, but likely not going to happen this year. And there are different things that we aren't happy with. Like one or like some things are more like design related where we feel it's sort of like a little too, too bluish, too spacey, like the glow stuff. We're like not super happy with that. It feels overdone at this point. I think we want to have like the next version of it, I think is going to be a little more Min little more minimalistic, a little more toned down than what we currently have. But that is one aspect of it, is just like the brand look and feel. The other aspect of it is how do we tell the story about Linear as the product and all the features? And that is something we think about a lot. Like I'm not super happy with like the main tagline that we use today. I think the tagline right now is Linear is a better way to build products. It's not a terrible tagline, but what does this mean? Again, focus. If I told you that like, you've never heard of Linear and I gave you that tech line, you wouldn't really know what the product is. So I think we can do a better job there. And then also like the storyline throughout the website. Right now, it's very much focused on features. Like we tell you, oh, Linear has all these features. He has like all these great things that the product does. We don't do a great job at explaining why any of these things matter. Like what are the problems that we are trying to solve? I think we can do a much better job from a storytelling perspective. Those are just two of the things. There's, there's much more to it, but overall structure, narrative, design, a lot of things that we'd like to do better. 
nice and so not happening this year but like i don't know maybe next year maybe yeah. the one after we maybe, might maybe. all be looking at a new linear site that people are copying <laughs> we've focused like so much on the website because i know that that's the thing that like yeah like i said i was most interested in is how i found out about linear but obviously there's more to your job and what the magic team does that isn't just the website what other projects are a priority for you and the team and especially right now as you said you're not actively working on the website what are you focused on at the moment it's still like most of these things are still sort of like website adjacent at least like, mm -hmm. there's always there's usually like a website element to it right we okay. need you need something to tell the story the thing we are focusing on right now and i think by the time this podcast airs it's it's hopefully live is a, a new web blog for us that's gives like again t different stories or content marketing if you want to call it that and I think the, the problem with a lot of content marketing is that it doesn't, it doesn't have the right format. Like sometimes it's difficult to tell a story if you just have your basic blog template, you know, like everything looks like medium.com or like ghost WordPress kind of thing. And, and something that we've struggled with a lot, that, that point of like, like assets need to be sort of like toned down for them not to become too complex. The same as when you describe linear to other people where you want to give them a high level overview but you also want to dive into the details and it's really hard to find a mix between the two and so we've spent a lot of time thinking about okay what is a better format to tell some of these stories how can we find a balance between you get like the overview but if you care about details you can sort of like dive deeper into some of these things so the new web blog is sort of like a google doc with annotations. So you have like the main story and then you have things that you can dive deeper into. So we talk about like a certain feature within Linear. And if you really care about that, you can tap on that like little side note and that would sort of like open up a new section where you can go into all of the, all of the little details. We want to have like multiplayer comments on it so that, you know, someone writes the story, but it'd be interesting to get other people's opinions on it. I write a blog post, but we'd like to have Kari's opinion on it, or maybe some of our customers, and they can comment directly on it. And the comments are live in like the final version of the blog. Again, giving you sort of like a different perspective or a different level of insight into certain parts of it. Not the main storyline, but it's sort of like a like a little side quest you can go on if you're really interested. So Ooh, very excited I about this. Can't wait That's for it to launch. Such a cool approach because Linear is about helping teams do their work, right? And this is like a work in progress that you're putting out there for people to see. It's not just like, here is a final finished product and you're not seeing any other context. It's like, here's the thing. And also some extra detail. And also here's a comment. I love it. It's very, very good choice for the brand, I think. What I instantly think of, though, is, oh my gosh, isn't that going to make creating the content take a lot longer <laughs> than just writing a regular blog post? But I guess that's kind of the point, right? Is that given the quality bar you aim for, maybe things do take longer and that's okay. I think you make a really good point there, actually. And we've tried to find something where you can both do like very polished, very detailed blog posts or types of contents, but it also works for just something really basic. For content marketing in particular, you need to find something that is not too polished. You want to make it look a little raw, like you're not supposed to see this. Like it's almost this like sprezzatura effect, right? Like where you you try to appear unpolished, even though there's a lot of polish in the unpolishedness. 
if if that makes sense. So we've we've optimized for something where you it will also work if you just like write a paragraph and there's no supporting asset. It's almost like a tweet. It's like a thought I had, and you can still put that on the block, and it would still fit into the rest of the content and not feel out of place. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to see this. Like, if it does launch before this show goes live, maybe we will have included some visuals there for people to see. That's Hopefully. very cool. You know, we're not um, great with timing and uh, deadlines <laughs> and stuff, so I can't make any promises. But <laughs> No promises, but we can all look forward to it. What about, I'm thinking about like other marketing channels, like, okay, social media images and ads and like white papers for sales team to use. Is your team also responsible for creating that sort of stuff? Like social assets, yes. Um, again, part of the all, all of the things that you mentioned, I think would I would describe as as packaging. And so, I, ideally, it's something we would work on. We'd love to have more resources and more time. Some of these things are not relevant yet. We haven't really run ads in any meaningful way, but that you know we probably will at some point. Sales material we've worked a little bit on, and I know that the sales team would love. To you know, would love more sales material. So we we are growing the team and hiring more people to do more of these things over time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no like external agency who's working on, you know, that those sorts of like smaller imagery assets for you. It is still your team. And that's why your resource constrained at the moment. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a huge fan of agencies, to be honest. I think it works for Ooh, certain things, more. but when it comes to a brand, <laughs> yeah. It takes a while to really understand the brand. I think you have to be with us and work with us for, for a time to, to get it. We also emphasize this point a lot in our interviewing process. Like we really try to figure out if someone shares our taste. It's not about like, do they have a good taste or bad taste? It's like, maybe you have great taste, but it's not the same taste as our brand. And so it wouldn't yes. be a great fit. And so for an agency that just feels hard, I think it would create more work where you'd have to push back. Mm -hmm. and it's like, ah, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. So not a huge fan of like outsourcing those kinds of things. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I like what you said about great taste, but maybe not your taste. Like I'm thinking like I never design anything in like dark mode and I'm like, give me the pastels, give me the color. I probably wouldn't be a great fit for the linear brand team. <laughs> so don't worry, I won't apply for the job. <laughs> but we will share, share out the link if you are hiring for the team. What about uh, since you're a small team, maybe this is not a... A huge need for you to have a ton of process but workflows and tools and things like that that you use to get your work done or like even just to be aware of needs across the company for that like 30 to 40 percent that you talked about how does that work not a lot of process but yeah we we do rely on a couple of tools I, like obviously you know linear this is not a this is probably not a surprise we use our own tool and we work with our own tool a lot. So this is, we have a dedicated team in Linear that, where we capture everything that's sort of like brand and website related, which means that, you know, if like new things pop up, there's like a huge backlog of things that we want to get in. And when we, we have like our own roadmap and our own projects. And so you can, you know, other people can follow along and like, what are we working on? So all of that lives in Linear. And then closely related to that, I think this is sort of like the, the second backbone of the company is Slack. We are a remote company. So it's important that there's like a lot of like explicit communication that's happening that sort of like gets written down. We try to combine a lot of the Slack conversations with the tasks and projects in Linear. So something that we as a team find really helpful is a new feature we launched recently where you can turn a Slack conversation into, into a Linear issue, like right from Slack. 
And what that does is that it synchronizes the threat bidirectionally between both tools. So you can have the conversation on Slack where you know someone from CX goes in and was like, oh, we should do X, Y, and Z, and creates a ticket. We can work from linear. If I comment on that threat in linear, the same comment shows up in Slack and vice versa. That has become really helpful just to you know, combine those two I guess both of them are like a digital brain of sorts that you know reflect your company's thinking, and so like bringing those together that has been really helpful. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, we we use Monday.com across the growth team for our like project management, and there is always the issue of like, oh, I posted this thing in Monday update, but then people didn't see it because I didn't post it in Slack. But if I post it in Slack, then people won't be able to go and find it easily later. So that connection does sound very good. I like that. I think that's um, a big problem with tools in general is that they are so like these, you know, separate. isolated silos. Mm -hmm. Have you watched mm -hmm. Severance? Yes. Right. It's like yeah. Severance. You have like yeah. this, your brain gets split into two and mm. the other the one side doesn't know what the other side is up to. That's kind of like how sort of like corporate knowledge management works where each tool has like its own brain, but it doesn't talk to the other one. Um, yeah, that's such a yeah, point. huge problem. I always like to end these episodes by talking about two things. And the first is what project coming up are you most excited about or like what challenge are you solving? We already talked about the blog and I don't know if there's something else that you want to share here or if that is the, the next thing. That, that is, you're most that is definitely about. the thing. The blog yep. is the one that <laughs> That's I'm what I thought. fully <laughs> focused on and most excited about right now. Nice. I'm also excited to see it. Um, okay. Well then let's end by you sharing some advice for someone who wants to create really impactful branded marketing design work. And I'm really excited to ask you this question in particular, because I think that designers should pay more attention to the like content and the copy that they're designing with. And so I'd be really curious for your thoughts on what you think creates impactful branded marketing design work. I think I'm going to preface this by saying that what has worked for us will not work for a lot of other brands and products. Noted. I think that we are sort of like in the fortunate position that it's almost like a consumer product and a lot of our marketing is very consumery. At least that's sort of like the brand feeling, right? It doesn't feel like a B2B brand. I worked for certain products where it's sort of like a, you have this like prosumer user base. There's a lot of other tools out there that are like very, I don't know, cybersecurity. You probably don't want to have this like, I don't even know how to describe this, but our marketing is maybe a little over the top and it would feel really out of place for like a cybersecurity tool. It's just like a random example. But I think that is important. I think I hear a lot of people it's like, oh, we want to like recreate the linear, something like the linear brand for our product. And I'm like, it doesn't, it's not a great fit. It's a fit for certain product categories, but perhaps not yours. FinTech is another example. So that is one. I think the other advice is try to find something unique. I personally like inspiration and then taking a lot of inspiration and sort of like mashing that together. And then you come up with something that's still inspired by a lot of different things, but it, it's unique in itself. A brand identity should be unique. If you're just copying someone else's work, that, that's not the job. You want a unique thing. The same applies to, I hear a lot of like the playbook, right? Like, can you share the playbook? And then all you have to do is follow the playbook. And this is how you create a, a great, product, marketing, strategy, brand, whatever. If you just follow the playbook, by definition, it means that you'll end up doing the exact same thing that everyone else has been doing. A playbook is great as a foundation, 
but you need to build on top of it and create something unique. So that I think is another point I want to emphasize. And then I think a good way to come up with unique ideas is to rethink what types of people you hire. I think there's this tendency is like, oh, I need a content marketer. And that's why I'm only going to look at content marketers. And I need a designer and I'm only going to look at like certain profiles that sort of like fit that description. I think that what makes our team unique is that, you know, overlap where I wouldn't really describe myself as a marketer. There's a design aspect to it. So maybe you should, maybe a marketer isn't the best person to do your marketing strategy. Maybe you just take a designer who has no background in marketing whatsoever and let that person be in, in charge of your marketing strategy and give that a try. Similarly, you know, Paco is not just an engineer, he's a design engineer. He sort of like combines two different types of work. I think sort of like hiring a unique team with like unique characteristics is something that I'd like to see more of in the industry. Lots of uniqueness in that piece of yeah. advice. I like it a lot. Thank you so much, Julian, for everything you've shared. And I'm sure people enjoyed this like talk through of creating the Lenny website. And I love ending on the advice that what we just shared is not a playbook that you can copy directly. You gotta exactly. put your own spin on it. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of those episodes where as soon as I finished recording, I couldn't wait to share it with my team at ConvertKit because I just loved Julian's perspective on brand and marketing design as packaging design. It's a really unique perspective that I hadn't heard anyone speak about it that way before. And it's how I kind of want to start thinking about my work too. I really hope you enjoyed getting to hear about how the famous Linear website was created. And you'll find links in the show notes to check out Linear and also to follow Julian and see more of his work. You'll find many more episodes of this show on InsideMarketingDesign.com. And I just think there's so much we can learn from each other in this industry. So I'm looking forward to bringing you even more in-depth conversations like this. So please subscribe if you haven't already. New episodes of the show come out every month. And so I will see you in the next one. Thank you.